Well, let me invite you to turn to Matthew 28. Matthew 28. And it's, uh, there's Bibles in front of you on page 1,000 in the Bibles, uh, Bibles right in front of you. If you haven't grabbed one of these life journals or in the, the lobby, uh, we want to encourage all of you to grab one. Grab one. Uh, if you want to chip in five bucks, you can. Don't worry about that part. Most importantly, we want you to have one. You can take notes in it. Uh, there's a weekly devotion. Uh, we give you a scripture every week. You can see it at the bottom of your, uh, or in the, in the bulletin, uh, a passage that we want you to spend some time thinking about. There's instructions on how to do that. And then there's a place to keep some notes for your life groups if you're in a life group. Uh, but it's a great way for you to be tracking what God is doing in your, in your life. Now, we're, we're in the fourth week of a series we're, we've been doing called Risen, and what we've been watching is uh, this amazing thing that happened. So uh, G- when Jesus went to the cross, his followers thought they'd lost all hope, uh, but three days later, the tomb was empty. Jesus was gone, but he wasn't just gone. They, they feared that he had been stolen, but he had risen. And, he, and uh, we see on that first day how multiple times he begins to appear to his followers. But he didn't just appear to his followers on that first day. For a period of 40 days, Jesus continued to appear to his followers. He continued to instruct them. He continued to meet with them. He continued to do this incredible thing and have these encounters with, with uh, 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 his followers. And, and in each ca- encounter, one of the things that we've been hoping is that you will have an encounter, uh, that you will see this unique way in which God is, as he's meeting with them and in their own unique way, that God is trying to, to speak into your own life as well. And so it's quite uh, uh, powerful. God is uh, doing something in this, in this little season for us. And, and one of the things I want to help you see is that uh, through his spirit, he's drawing you to the greatness of Jesus, to his power and to his glory, that he is, he is risen, that he is alive and that he is here now, uh, that, that you would see this in census. And so one of the things that's uh, powerful as well that we sense is that in every encounter as we've seen, it doesn't matter what your background has been, what, what kind of brokenness you're coming from, what doubts you might have, how you might have failed him that we see, and as we've seen leading up to this, that all these things are, as we see in these stories, these are our stories, that we are in that same place, and that he is welcoming us in to have life in his name. Now, what we're going to see today is if God is going to raise you from the dead, he's going to give you authority. He's given Jesus authority over all things. And so the passage that we're going to look at today is called the Great Commission. Uh, the Bible doesn't call it that, but, but uh, the church has called it that over the centuries. And, and the idea of the Great Commission is it's great on two, two, uh, uh, in two ways. On the one hand, it's great in its scope. This is a worldwide mission that the church has been given. Jesus has given us a mission, and it, it is for the whole world. It is great in its scope. But it is also great because if you are going to give a worldwide commission, you, you need to have authority. And so uh, we see in this that Jesus gives this worldwide authority or this, this worldwide commission because he has been given all authority over in heaven and earth. And it's fascinating what Matthew does in this passage because if you trace, if you've read this whole story uh, that Matthew uh, gives, this, this account of Jesus' life, you'll see things in the beginning of Jesus' life that now come together in this kind of summary passage at the very end. Uh, you might remember that when Jesus was baptized, after he was baptized, he went into the desert and for 40 days he was being prepared. At the end of that time, he was tempted. And when the devil came to him, uh, he, he tempted him to, and offered him this opportunity. He said, if, you, if, you'll, if you'll worship me, then I will give you authority over all these things. I'll give you power. This will all be yours. But that was a shortcut. It meant resisting the cross. And Jesus resisted that. 
He went to the cross, and through that, he was able not only uh, uh, to conquer uh, sin and death and the devil himself. See, there, there was an Old Testament prophecy that was given And the Old Testament prophet Daniel said this. He said, one day there will be this one who comes. He says this. He had a vision. He says, in my vision at night, I looked. And there before me was one like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. And he was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. And from Jesus' first resurrection period uh, uh, to this time, he has been been pointing to this, and he has this this authority. And so uh, uh, on that first Sunday, he had told his disciples, uh, meet me in Galilee. Meet me in Galilee. And so here he is, this risen one with this, this power and authority. And he's saying, meet me in this place. There's something important I have to tell you. And so, you know, if there's someone in your life and they've got something important to tell you and it's coming to the end of their time, you kind of lean into what they want to say. And so, so we want to see this as well. But think about what it would have been like for the disciples to, to go back to this place, to go to Galilee. This was where, for many of them, this is where the, the beginning of their call was. Uh, where, they, where they met Jesus and Jesus called them out of where they were and what they were doing and they began to follow him. Uh, it, it was the place where they had experienced miracles. They had seen things with their eyes and experienced things being in his presence that, that they just thought, who is this man? Who is the one that the wind and the waves even obey him? Who is the one who has, has this authority over powers and, 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 the, and, and nature? Who is this one who has such authority? They encountered him, his teaching. They heard about the kingdom of God and the, key, the vision of God's kingdom. And they were not only experiencing the, the power of God's kingdom, but a vision of God's kingdom was being revealed to them in such a way that they would say things like, who is this one? who speaks with such authority. He was different than any of the others that had come before, and he was speaking in a way, and they realized here is one with authority. But now, risen, alive, he reveals that he has all authority in heaven and earth. And as we see this, uh, when, you, when someone like this calls you to something, you got to lean in. you got to pay attention. And so here's our big idea today, as we're going to see, is that uh, the risen Jesus has given us a mission. He's given us a mission, and the mission is to make disciples. He's been calling them for this purpose. He's been calling them for this time. And now the risen Jesus has a mission to give his followers, and it is to make disciples. And we'll look at what this, this means. And that means this, that he has a purpose, he has a goal, and, and, and that he wants every person in HB, in Fountain Valley, in Orange County, and as we'll see the world, he wants every person to come and know and experience what it means to be his follower. He wants us to become his disciples. He wants us to make disciples. And so let's read this passage uh, called the Great Commission, Matthew chapter 28, starting in verse 16. It says, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go 
and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So Matthew tells us they go and they meet together in Galilee and he uh, reveals a couple of things. Number one is that for Matthew, it's very clear. The reason the tomb is empty is that Jesus is risen. He is alive. And here he is before his disciples. And you notice two responses that they have. It says that they worshiped him. Now, all along, Jesus has been walking with these, these uh, disciples. He's been uh, revealing to them that he is the Son of God. And so they've come to this place, and you see the proper response of those who have been learning what it means for him to, uh, to be the, the, the Son of God, that he is the Son of God, and, and what it means to, to know him. They worship him. But then you see this interesting phrase there, but some doubted. Now, it says that the 11 are there, but some doubted. And so uh, uh, folks over the, the centuries have tried to figure out well, who is that? Uh, because it doesn't seem to make sense when we think of the whole story. So think about even these last couple of weeks, if you've been with us the last couple of weeks, that Jesus multiple times has given many convincing proof to these 12 that, that are now the 11, the 11 disciples. He has, he's revealed himself. He's shown himself. He has uh, put his hands out that they could touch him. They, 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 they have reached out. They've eaten with him. They've seen that he truly is alive. And in this powerful moment, uh, we know that. And so folks have wondered, like, well, then who were the ones that doubted in that time? And in this, what we uh, see, so this is interesting. About 20 years later, the Apostle Paul uh, wrote a letter to a church in Corinth. And at the end of the letter, he reveals something. He talks about what the gospel is, that Jesus came. He died for our sins according to scriptures. He was buried and that he rose again on the third day according to the scriptures. And it says, and then he appeared. He starts listing people he appeared to. And we've been looking at these stories. But then he gives this very interesting verse in 1 Corinthians 15, 6. I'll put it here on the screen. It says this, after that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. So think about what he's saying here. He's saying there was a time when 500 Christians, 500 of his followers got together, men and women, and they, they saw him, they heard him. And so he's saying, look, it wasn't this mass hallucination. It, it was, they were there. But I don't know if you see this. Um, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. So you have to ask yourself, why add that phrase there? And the reason is Paul is saying, if you want, you can go talk to them. You can talk to people who were actually there and find out what it was like to sit in that place. And, and so one of the things I hope that you are seeing it, uh, week after week as we're walking through this is there is reason for your faith. There is reason to believe that the empty tomb, the only explanation of the empty tomb is that Jesus is alive. He is risen. And so we have 500 witnesses at one time. And so what uh, scholars have looked at and said, it is quite possible that this is that time when they were together, that the, the 11 were there, but the others that were uh, assembled, that some, maybe those who were uh, doubted, and that word doubt actually means they were kind of, a, they were astonished. Not that they, it was unbelief, but they couldn't believe what they were seeing. They're watching this and saying, what in the, how, 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 how? And it's everything that the 11 had been going through uh, in the weeks before. And they're saying, I know we were there. We, we thought the same thing, you know, and, you know, I had to touch him and all, all those things that they felt. And so it's very possible this is what this time is. And it seems most likely as they've looked at it this over the time. So imagine he gets a group about twice the size of this room together and says, friends, 
I got to give you something. This is so important about what we do next. Okay, so once again, he has authority. You're, you're just, you're blown away by being in his presence. Think about what it would be like to be one of those 500 sitting there hearing it and he's just there and he's sharing. And notice what he says. Here's two things that I want us to draw into. Number one, that the risen Jesus calls us all to become his disciples. He calls us all to become his disciples. So one of the interesting things about this last, these last couple of verses is when you read them, you all of a sudden understand going back to chapter one what this whole journey through Matthew's uh, gospel has been about. It has been about you becoming a follower of Jesus. It is about you becoming a disciple. It's about you seeing this. And so what do we mean by becoming a disciple? A disciple is, the word disciple simply means this, a learner, a student, an apprentice. So it's a practitioner. It's coming under someone who's a a, a master teacher or a leader. It's saying, it's giving yourself, giving your allegiance to that person and saying, I'm following you in your way. And for Jesus, uh, we see this in a a couple ways. One is, uh, 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 maybe most clearly is, uh, remember, uh, core to his message was simply this, follow me. Follow me, which meant to kind of come under, come behind me. It meant for you to, to, to learn. He, he was asking people, learn my ways, understand what I'm, I'm sharing. He was giving them a vision of the kingdom of God, helping them to understand God. He's saying, you've heard it all these other ways. Let me explain to you what, what the truth is. And he invited people to become his followers, his disciples, to live as he did and to take his life on. In fact, the first Christians, I, I don't know if you know this or not, that, uh, but the word Christian is only used four times in the Bible. The word disciple is used over 260 times in the New Testament. This is how we identified ourselves as the disciples of Jesus. In fact, the word Christian, it's kind of interesting, was not a name we gave ourselves. It was a name that others gave us because we were imitators of Jesus. It means little Christ. In fact, that becomes the way that they begin to understand. In fact, as you start getting into some of the letters to the churches, the call is that we would imitate Christ. We become imitators of him. We be formed into his image. And so as we've been singing, as you've been thinking that this idea of, of taking his life and becoming like him, this is what became very core. And so there, it's important that you understand that there isn't this idea of the Christians and the disciples, that there's the Christians and then there's the, like the, the, guy, the ones that stay after class and do extra credit. They're the disciples. Okay, it's not like shirts and skins, Right? There is only the disciples of Jesus, those who take his life, who follow him, okay? And they follow him with their lives. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said it this way in The Cost of Discipleship. He said, Christianity without discipleship is always Christianity without Christ. This idea that we can somehow be a follower of Jesus but not follow him makes no sense. To be a Christian is to be, his fo- to be a follower of him and to, and to uh, be his disciple. Now, what I love is this. Uh, what's so key, and especially in this series, is, is listen to this. Uh, as you see him, listen to what he's saying. That you are to become a follower of him. Okay? Not of his teachings and not of this philosophy and not of his memory, but of the risen Jesus He is calling you to follow him. He is alive. He is with you. He is saying, come. He's still saying to us, come with me. Follow me now. 
And we are called to, to follow the, the risen Jesus. Do you hear that call? Do you hear him calling to you, follow me, follow me, trust me. I am alive and I will give you life, but you gotta trust me. You gotta come with me. Follow me, let me give you my life. Now, what's abundantly clear is this, that the Christian life always begins with a decision, but it can't end there. In fact, even at the, at the close of the service, like most services, we'll, we will invite people to commit themselves, to make a decision to follow Jesus. It always begins with a decision, but it can never end there. Uh, we become followers of him. We take his life on. We continue to say, give me your heart. Help me become like you. And it's, a, it's this, it's, he's alive. He's, it's an interactive thing with someone who is real. It's not uh, just about living in someone's memory. But notice this, this. So we understand that we are to become disciples, but disciples of Jesus make disciples of Jesus. Here's the second thing I want you to see is that the risen Jesus expects us all to make disciples. To make disciples. And so when you look at this commission, this, this challenge, this call, in the English, it appears that the command to us is to go, okay? But the command isn't to go. The command, the imperative is to make disciples. That's the only verb actually in it. And so we make disciples, okay? We make disciples and we do that, number one, by going, Okay, so how do we make disciples? We do it by going. So we go to people. And really, the better way to say it is, as you go into the world, wherever you go, make disciples. Uh, and so we think about this in, in a lot of different ways. Now, I, I, what I love about this, again, think about this. The risen Jesus says this. Just, so you, and just remember this. As you go, I will be with you always till the very end of the age. Now here, once again, Matthew is doing one of those things where at the very end of his writing, he's taking you back to the very beginning. So in chapter one, we are introduced to Jesus this way, that he will be known as Emmanuel, God with us. That's how you will know. You, you will know that God is now with us. He's come to be with us. And Jesus ends, Matthew ends his gospel by Jesus saying to us, now I've got this plan for you, but here's what I want you to understand. I do not send you and cross my fingers and say, good luck. I hope a good report comes back. He says, no, I'm going with you. We're going together. And so as you go into the world, as we go into the world, we're going to make disciples. And so he calls for us to be in on this. So where, where do we go? We, we simply say it here at Beach Point. We call it the 8 to 15. And, and what it means is this, is that we think in your life, if you paid attention to it, you would realize that there's probably somewhere around 8 to 15 people who if you prayerfully and thoughtfully uh, reflected on it, you would realize it seems like God has put these people in my life. Supernaturally, strategically. It could be the, uh, some are obvious. Uh, sometimes God puts people in your life and it's really obvious. It's your family. Uh, it, it might be a coworker. It might be a friend. It might be, but it might be just kind of a, uh, someone in you that enters into a season of your life and you're not sure how or why but you sense this kind of call to this person. You feel like there's something God is doing and you are supposed to play this unique role in this person's life. And so you stay open to it. Now, if the risen Jesus is involved in this, when he prompts us, when he leads us, when he's saying, hey, talk with this person, pray with this person, invite this person, just 
be with this person. When you feel that prompting of God's spirit, it's because the risen Jesus is with you. And he's saying, you can't see what's on the other side. You don't quite know what's going on. I'm doing in their life. Trust me on this. I'm stirring something in them. I just need you to trust me. And so when we feel this prompting to go, I know you're going you're gonna to get a little nervous. But go with the confidence that if God is stirring something in you, it's because he's already at work with someone else. So who is God calling you to go to? Who is God calling you to go to? Again, have you thought about who have you put in this season of my life? What, what people have you put in this season of my life that I should just be more mindful of? You know, parents, I think for us, as you go about parenting, make disciples. Think about your parenting in a way that it's investing in people, your, your family coming, your kids coming into the life of Jesus. Friends, as you go about friendship, make disciples. Let's make our friendships about uh, things that help us become uh, uh, followers of Jesus, stronger followers of Jesus. Who is God leading you to? But notice the second thing that he says. He says, you go into the world, you make disciples, you baptize then. Baptism is, is it's a public symbol it's, a, it's our symbol of, of the fact that we have come into the, this life with Jesus. It, it celebrates the washing away of our sin, but it tells the story not only of what we believe that Jesus died and was buried and rose again, but that our life has now died and been buried and we have risen to live a new life following Jesus. We are now following him. See, in the ancient world, to be baptized into the name of someone meant to come under the allegiance of that one, meant to surrender the ownership of who you are to that person. And notice what he says, that we would be baptized into the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And so to be baptized into his name means we are coming under his power and his authority and we are submitting our life now to him. And be baptized in this way reveals who you have given the allegiance of your life to. Uh, For some of you, you have internally decided to follow Jesus, uh, but you haven't yet externally uh, professed that. And baptism is a way that you externally profess that. And I want to encourage you, um, uh, in June, we will have a baptism. In September, we will have a baptism. If you have not been baptized yet, uh, you can write that on the Connect card, and we will start a process of getting you prepared for that. But it's just a wonderful story. And one of the things I love is, uh, you will see uh, many times, is that myself or one of the other pastors, there's someone else in the tank with us or in the, at the beach with us. But what I love is because we are called to, to make disciples uh, that often I realize I'm just simply helping what someone else has already started. And so I love these celebrations. I love to see uh, the, this come to mind. And so I, I want to, as you look at a picture like this, uh, Sarah and Maggie and the relationship they, that they had, I, I, I wonder for you, uh, who would you want to see in your life, baptized in this next year? Uh, who are you going to ba- help baptize this next year? Who can you imagine in your mind someone uh, that God has placed in your life coming to know Jesus, coming to, to, to not only, uh, uh, not only are you going to them, but you're inviting them to trust him, to follow him, and that they can express this in this way, that you can be a part of that whole experience. 
But here's the last thing I want us to see in this. But the last thing as we make disciples, we go. We do this by going, by inviting them to, to follow Jesus. But it doesn't end there. Notice it says, he says, teach them to obey. Teach them to obey everything I've commanded. Now, I don't know about you. I've got a long way to go on that one. Okay, this is a long, long journey for us together. And so uh, it's not about information gathering, although learning information is important. But notice the, the, the thrust of what Jesus says. Teach them to obey. Circle that word in your Bible. Teach them to obey. It's about not about information. It's about transformation. It's about learning to live differently, learning to live the life that Jesus has for us. Now, we say it this way here, that Beach Point Church exists to develop authentic followers of Jesus Christ who love God, one another, and the world. And so in some ways, we kind of see that it always comes back. We, we find ourselves coming back to those three things. So when Jesus was asked, what's the most important commandment? He said to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And so we're constantly thinking, how do we together help each other love God with all who we are? Things that we know we need to, to embrace and things we know we, we need to let go of. Uh, things we need to learn. We, we want to learn to worship God with our whole life, not just for an hour on Sunday. We want to worship God with every part of us. But Jesus also said this. He said that we were to love our neighbor as ourself. He would say this, that here's a new commandment I'm giving you. Love one another as I have loved you. And so there's an expectation. I don't know about you. I, I think for us, we've got a long way to go on that one too, right? We, we are working together to try to, uh, to move from selfishness to selflessness. That's really hard. We're learning to care for each other and listen to each other and sacrifice for each other. I, I love, uh, I, I did a wedding uh, uh, a few months ago and it was really neat. So right after the vows, I asked them, the couple, I said, what would you want to, kind of your first thing as husband and wife. And they said, we would really like our life group to, to pray for us. Our life group are these small groups we have where we are helping each other become uh, uh, more like Jesus. And they said, we really want our life group to pray for us because they've been so instrumental to the, our spiritual growth in this last year that has led us to this point. The life group had no idea this was going to happen. They're just sitting in the audience, enjoying everything, waiting for the reception. And, and, uh, and so at the end, I, I go to pray and I said, at this point, we're going to pray. And uh, the couple would like the, their life group to come up and they came up. It was just this awesome, you could feel just this God moment. And the life groups huddled around them. They lay their hands on them as a sign of blessing. And we pray over this couple. And it's just, you get this picture of we're committed to loving each other and caring for you and, and helping you be successful in this. We love God. We love one another. We love the world. We love the world in the way that Jesus loves the world, that this world that he was willing to die for. And so we go. We go into the world, we, we, we reach out, and it doesn't matter how old you are or young you are, we realize that God has put people in this world that we have a responsibility to care for. And so you hear the stories even this morning of loving teachers and loving uh, these churches in Mexico and all these different things. We're always asking the question, Lord, teach us how to, to, to love this world the way you love it. And so all these things you see happening, but what happens to this as you are becoming a disciple and you're committed to making disciples. Well, here's what you will see is that God takes ordinary people like us. And I hope you've seen that in every story we've looked at. Very unspectacular people. Very ordinary people that God has decided to use to change the world. 
And when we decide to become disciples and to make disciples, God does these exceptional things through ordinary people, these extraordinary things. One of the people I think who models that so well is Amber Crosby. She is absolutely growing and has, since we've known her, growing as a disciple. But she is making disciples as a wife and a mom and a middle school leader and a neighbor and a boss and a friend. And so would you welcome Amber? Good morning. Um, I was really nervous first service. I thought second service would be much easier. Nope. (laughs) Uh, My name is Amber Crosby, and my story is one of learning how to obey God and carry out his mission in the midst of everyday life, everyday frustrations. When my husband and I were married, I wasn't walking with the Lord, and I didn't even know where he stood with his faith. We were struggling to figure out how to be married and how to have a blended family. A friend gave us a Christian book, on marriage, which talked about love and respect, which then led us to read the Bible, which then led us to find church and commit to following Jesus. For the last 11 years, my family and I have lived lived at Beachwood Apartments just down the street on Magnolia in a two-bedroom apartment. If you can imagine having a blended family of four kids with the ages of youngest being seven and as of yesterday, I have a 15-year-old, you can imagine that living in a two-bedroom apartment can get a little uncomfortable. It didn't seem like there were other Christians where we lived, and year after year, my husband and I would pray, Lord, please let us out of here. Help us move. We don't fit in. But as time would go by, we kept getting to know and praying with our God. We realized that God uses the unlikely, and we were very unlikely, and maybe this was our unlikely moment. We had people in our lives come alongside us and mentor us. Ron Roundtree, the Labars, and the Hall family have forever changed our lives. And ultimately, we realize that God has commanded us to be a blessing wherever we go, and that our trust, faith, and obedience is such a beautiful way to worship him. So we switched our prayer. We used to pray, Lord, please help us get out of here, to Lord, give us patience. Use our family to help others. Show us your story. That change in perspective gave a different view of my neighbors. As time went on, we got to know families. We talked about our faith, and we would invite them to church. At one point, we got a new upstairs neighbor. We bonded over our children, and as the conversation went on, our faith. She shared with me that she attended growing, going to church growing up, but her family was not actively walking with the Lord, and she was unsure of where her husband stood with his faith, something I could relate to. Robert and I prayed. We invited them to church. God did a work in their lives, and they are now both following Jesus and both active members of Beach Point. When we have, we have done life groups together, our kids have become friends, almost family, and now they share their faith both at school and in our apartment complex. This whole time, we have not lost our desire to move out of our apartment. Six people, two bedrooms. But then two years ago, I was able to become the assistant manager of our complex. I continue to share my faith. My boss is now walking with the Lord, and even last year, I got to hire a maintenance man that attends Beach Point. We bring kids in the neighborhood to church with us on Wednesdays, and we can see God moving. I can't say that I feel like we fit in now, and I still wish we could move, but the Lord is using our family and our community. He definitely continues to stretch us, but he is so, so faithful, and we are so, so honored to work for his kingdom. My name is Amber Crosby, and this is my risen story. Well, like Amber, God is calling you. 
And so this morning we're asking you, who is God calling you to disciple, to go to, to baptize, to teach, to obey? Who is God calling you to? Uh, You know, when we're committed to growing as disciples, you will see you cannot separate out disciples of Jesus, make disciples of Jesus. Just the the more that we're drawn into a life with him, the more he's going to, that's going to be a part of our story. And, And I love this. You know, we look at a moment like this, and again, God is looking at people just like us and saying, I think I can change the world with you. Dallas Willard writes this. He said, Jesus told us explicitly, explicitly what to do. We have a manual, just like a car owner. Uh, he told us as disciples to make disciples, not converts to Christianity, not, nor some particular faith and practice. He did not tell us to arrange for people to get in or make the cut after they die, nor to eliminate the various brutal forms of injustice, nor to... Uh, to produce and maintain successful churches. These are all good things, and he had something to say about all of them. They will certainly happen if, but only if, we are his constant apprentices, and we do make constant apprentices. What he told us to be and do. If we just do this, it will little matter what else we do or do not do. This is what we've been called to do, to become his disciples and to make disciples. There's a, there, there's a Christian legend. It's not in the scriptures, but it's an interesting story, I think, that gets at the big idea. And the story goes that when Jesus ascended into heaven, the angels gathered around him and, and asked, Lord, have you accomplished your mission? He said, you know, I have. And he, they asked, well, does the world know about this? And he said, not yet. And they said, well, what is your plan? And he said, I have left behind my followers And they are going to take this all over the world. And the angels looked down onto the world and looked at Jesus and looked at themselves and said, but but Lord, what if they fail? What will be your plan then? And Jesus' response was, I have no other plan. Friends, we are plan A. There is no plan B. Jesus, the risen Jesus who has all authority, in heaven and earth, has found it good to say this, I am sending you to change the world. Make disciples of all the nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And teach them to obey everything I commanded. But just know this, I will be with you always. I will always be with you when you go. And so I want to invite us to a prayer um, uh, as we close our service out. These last moments of our service, I want to invite you to stand. Uh, we're going we're gonna to pray this together. And this is uh, called the Wesley uh, Covenant Prayer, and it, it's been used in churches uh, for a long time, written by John Wesley. Uh, a prayer that was used, I think can be used in, in two powerful ways. Some of you have not committed your life to Jesus yet, but today is that day to commit your life. And this prayer is, is they're beautiful words of surrender where you are saying to, to Jesus, I'm yours and you are mine. Uh, but I think for us that have committed our lives to him, we continue to say that every day to say, I am yours and you are mine. Send me 
however you want to send me. Whatever it costs me, I'm willing to go because I belong to you. I am your follower. And so if you want to pray this, this is not a, this is not a cheap prayer and this is, not, this is a bold prayer. It, it requires some courage on your part. But I can say this for those of you who do not know Jesus yet, this is a prayer that will open your life to him where he will, he will rush in and fill you with his spirit. You will, you will know the one true God and he will wash away your sins and you will belong to him now and forever. And for those of us who are saying, I don't think you can change the world with me, but I'll take a shot on it. I guarantee you, you will be surprised just as Amber has shared. You will have a risen story as well. And so let's pray these words together. If you are willing, uh, join it with us. I am no longer my own, but yours. Put me to what you will. Rank me with whom you will. Put me to doing. Put me to suffering. Let me be employed for you or laid aside for you, exalted for you or brought low for you. Let me be full. Let me be empty. Let me have all things. Let me have nothing. I freely and wholeheartedly yield all things to your pleasure and disposal. And now, glorious and blessed God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you are mine and I am yours. So be it. And this covenant now made on earth, let it be ratified in heaven. Amen. You take a moment, just bow quietly. Ask yourself, just pray, Lord, here we stand. Our hearts are yours, not our will, but yours be done. What's my next step of growing in you? Who are you sending me to? Just take a moment. Listen to how God's spirit wants to speak uniquely to you in this moment.